It has often been said that there will be three surprises when you get to heaven. The first surprise is who made it. There will undoubtedly be closet believers and deathbed conversions. And I imagine we'll see some people in, in, in heaven and we'll go, boy, I, I'm surprised to see him here. Well, God knows our hearts. The second surprise will be who didn't make it. Jesus warns us in Matthew 7:21, not everyone who professes Christ as Lord actually possesses Christ as Lord. There will be tares among the wheat, and it will surprise us, but it will not surprise him because he knows our hearts. The third surprise when you get to heaven will be that you made it. Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. In 1983, in 1893, a Sunday school teacher by the name of James Milton Black wrote a beloved hymn, when the roll is called up yonder. The idea for the song happened when a little girl was absent from Mr. Black's Sunday school class, and when he visited the little girl's home, he found out that she was seriously sick with pneumonia. On the way home, Mr. Black thought about how awful it would be if someone were absent when attendance was made in heaven. So he sat down and he wrote this beautiful hymn. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Praise God. The hymn was well-received. Evangelists like D.L. Moody made it popular. But when it really took off was when it was featured in the 1941 movie Sergeant York, starring Gary Cooper. The movie tells the conversion story of a rebellious young man who finds Jesus, goes on to be a war hero in World War I. Sergeant York was the top-grossing movie in 1941, and Gary Cooper won an Academy Award. Boy, does that tell you something about the state of America in 1941, doesn't it? Movies about conversions and songs about our Lord's return were very popular in 1941. When I was a young man living with my grandma, I would often play the organ for her in the evenings, and we would sing hymns. When the roll is called up yonder was grandma's favorite. She'd sing in Swedish and I'd sing in English. And we had an awesome time. This hymn was also a favorite of Johnny Cash and Loretta Lynn. And get this, Willie Nelson. All three of them recorded this song. As did Jim Neighbors of Gopher Pile, Gomer Pyle fame with the Andy Griffith Show. Now, I always felt this close bond with Gomer. 
because my dad owned a gas station and uh, I did a lot of oil checking and windshield washing and gas pumping just like Gomer did. Now on Sunday nights at our little church when we would sing our favorite hymns, one of the top choices was always when the roll is called up yonder. Verse 2 goes like this, On that bright and cloudless morning, when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share, when his chosen ones are gathered to their home beyond the skies, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. We all love singing about heaven. But actually, talking about it, I noticed something immediately, that there was a little difference of opinion. The older generation were ready right now, and the younger generation were often a little more reluctant. The attitude was, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but not quite yet. Some were thinking, I'd like to get married first and enjoy intimacy with my spouse and have kids. No, there's nothing wrong with these God-given desires. And yet I can assure you, if you die today, find yourself in heaven before the sun sets, you will have missed out on nothing. <laughs> there is no need for FOMO, fear of missing out. Because the Bible assures us in 1 Corinthians 2.9 that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no Mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Today we're going to get a glimpse of this in Revelation 21. And it's only a glimpse, but it's an important glimpse because it is a fitting capstone to the entire Bible. Throughout the book of Revelation, there is this chronological progression. Jesus told John in Revelation 1.19, write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Past, present, future. Revelation 1 highlights the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what happened in the past. Revelation 2 and 3 is a picture of the current age, the church age what we're experiencing right now. And then the church abruptly disappears. After chapter three, chapter four begins, come up here, which I think is a, a alluding to the rapture. And then there is no further reference to the church in chapters four to 18 because this is the age of the seven-year tribulation. I believe the church will be in heaven with Christ during that time. Chapter 19, it says, After this I heard. The tribulation will suddenly come to an end when Jesus returns to planet Earth on the Mount of Olives and defeats the Antichrist and then chapter 20 begins with these words, and I saw an angel. You see the chronological progression there. That angel will lock up Satan in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. 
and Jesus will reign out of Jerusalem. And we as his people will assist him. At the end of the 1,000 years, Satan will lead a brief rebellion that will be put down. And this will lead to the final judgment of mankind. Revelation 20:11 says, Then I saw a great white throne. And all those who have rebelled against Christ will be sent to the lake of fire forever. Now with that background in chapter 21, we are introduced then to the new eternal Jerusalem, our forever home. And today we will focus on six glimpses of our forever home in these first eight verses. Glimpse number one is that it is brand new. Verse 1 says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now the prophet Isaiah had already prophesied this in Isaiah 65 and 66, but Isaiah did not make a distinction between the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. During the millennial kingdom, Jesus will reign over our present earth with Jerusalem as his capital city. All of the land promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis 15, they will be fulfilled. The borders of Israel will extend from the Euphrates in present-day Iraq to the Nile in present-day Egypt. Right now, Israel rules over an area the size of New Jersey. In the millennium, Israel will rule over an area the size of Texas. Folks, Texas is 30 times larger than New Jersey. Now, after the millennium, the present heaven and earth will be destroyed. The apostle Peter says, 2 Peter 3.10, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Jesus taught the same thing in Matthew 24, 35. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In Genesis 1, verse 1, we see that God created a space, time, matter, universe. But the new universe will be qualitatively different. Revelation 21 tells us, that it will no longer have a sea. Right now, life as we know it is dependent on water. The blood in your body is 90% water. Your flesh is 65% water. In the new universe, everything's going to be different. As we used to sing, when the roll is called up yonder, I remember thinking about the idea that time will be no more. Wayne Grudem theologian argues that there will be a progression of events in heaven. So there will be time in some sense, but it will be qualitatively different than what we experience right now. But be assured of this, whatever God has planned for us, we know that it is good 
good, good all the time. Praise God. Now let's move to glimpse number two of our forever home, its glorious capital. Verse 2 says, And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The new Jerusalem will be a literal city. It's not the entirety of heaven, but it's heaven's capital. It will be the third city named Jerusalem in the Bible. The first is historic Jerusalem, which you can visit today. The second is millennial Jerusalem that will be split in half by a massive earthquake that will change the topography of the area significantly. This is where Jesus will reign for a thousand years as described in Zechariah 14 and Revelation 20. The new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 is going to descend from heaven. That means it exists right now. In fact, this is where the believers go right now when they die. It is distinct from the present universe, which is tainted by sin. The new Jerusalem will come down from heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The Greek word for dressed is cosmeo, from which we get the English word cosmetics. It literally means to order yourself, to arrange yourself, to adorn yourself. I remember when my daughters got ready for their weddings, and it took a long time. <laughs> and it cost a lot of money. <laughs> but it was so worth it to see them glowing on their wedding day. The new Jerusalem is going to be glorious. I remember well my first glimpse of Jerusalem when I visited as a 20-year-old college student. Tears welled up my eyes. That first glimpse of the holy city and actually, that's very common. Psychiatrists actually have a name for it. They call it the Jerusalem Syndrome because it happens so often, this flood of emotions when you see this historic city destroyed 18 times in history and rebuilt. Ironically, it's called the City of Peace. That's what Jerusalem means. But this is going to be nothing, the presence of Jerusalem, to the glory of the new Jerusalem. So be assured of this, it will be breathtaking. Now this brings us to glimpse number three of our forever home. And that is its key feature. Verse three says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. You know, there are many people today who want the kingdom, but they don't want the king. Now, they wouldn't come out and say it, but they live that way. 
They want the benefits of Christ's kingdom without the cost of a relationship with him. And there is a cost. Jesus warns us of that. Luke 14, 28, Jesus asks whether a man can build a tower without first counting the cost. Many people today, they want a cure for cancer. They want the healing, but not necessarily the healer. They want blessings, but they don't want the blesser. They want peace, but not the prince of peace. They want joy, but not the joy maker. And it's not just non-believers that are guilty of this. The reality is some professing Christians live like functional atheists. They only read the Bible out of obligation. They only pray when they got a problem. But for all intents and purposes, they leave Jesus out of their daily routine. It's equivalent to getting married and then promptly returning to your single lifestyle. Why would you do that? That's what this whole sermon series has been about. Being a Christian is far more than making an intellectual vow to trust in Christ. God wants a relationship with you. And this is exactly what verse 3 tells us here. God wants to dwell with you. He wants to dwell with you forever. He wants you to be his son or his daughter. When I do premarital counseling, I've often observed that the couple gets all stressed out about their wedding plans. I've got to do this, and I've got to go and get flowers. I've, I've got to go line up this. And what are we going to do for decorations? And, and all of these things. How's the service going to go? And who's going to do what? And all of these things. And I will often just encourage them, hey, Relax. And uh, either simplify your plans or let your parents and friends do the heavy lifting here. Because your ultimate goal isn't to have a fantastic wedding, it's to have a fantastic marriage. That is the prize. And the same is true with Christianity. As your pastor, I want you to understand what it means to place your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but even better is what follows. I want to show you the blessings of walking with God, walking with him day by day and moment by moment. The Westminster Confession puts it so well, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You were made to walk with your maker. He wants to be more than your savior. He wants to be your friend. And he extends that invitation and he pictures heaven as having this intimate relationship with the Lord for all eternity. Now this leads right into glimpse number four of our forever home. And that is its dramatic difference to what we're now experiencing on this age verse 4 says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away 
the new heaven and the new earth will be dramatically different. In the present age, we have four great enemies, sin, Satan, death, and hell. All four of those enemies will be decisively dealt with. Revelation 21-27 says, Nothing impure will enter the new Jerusalem, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. So we see that sin is gone, and so is Satan. Revelation 20 verse 10 says, The devil who deceived them, deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Well, that takes care of him. So we have sin is gone, Satan is gone. Then Revelation 20, 14 says, and then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Now, Hades is where unbelievers go when they die in the present age. Luke chapter 16, okay? But even Hades, a temporary hell, is going to be thrown into the lake of fire, which is a permanent hell. And from that time forward, hell will no longer be a threat to anyone who isn't already there. All four of our greatest enemies on this earth will be decisively dealt with. You know what that means? That means there will no longer be tears. Isn't that good news? No longer be death or mourning, or crying, or pain. The old order of things, the order of things that govern our world right now, it's going to pass away. Everything will be restored to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. In the first three chapters of Genesis, we see paradise lost. In the last three chapters of Revelation, we see paradise regained and it's going to happen in two stages the first is the millennial kingdom revelation 20 longevity will be restored to the way it was before the flood remember noah finished the ark when he was 600 years old how would you like to take that on our 80 and 90 year olds. Okay? People will live hundreds of years during the millennial kingdom, but there will still be sickness and death. We know that because of what Isaiah 65, 66 say. And this is also why 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Not until the new heaven and new earth are created will death be permanently defeated. Isaiah 53 prophesies of Jesus. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. By his wounds we are healed. We're given a preview of this when Jesus walked our earth. Everyone Jesus prayed for received healing. But they all got sick again and died. Today, we continue to see times when God dramatically heals. We have several stories in our own congregation here. But eventually, sickness afflicts us again and we die. 
In the millennium, the sting of death is lessened. Human lifespans are lengthened like they were in the pre-flood era. But people still get sick and die. Only in the eternal kingdom will our infirmities and sicknesses and sorrows and wounds, they'll be gone forever. Isn't that good news? What are our older ones going to talk about? (laughs) No more upcoming surgeries and this hurts and that hurts and right? What are we going to talk about? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Now next we come to glimpse number five of our forever home. It's grateful heirs. Verse six, the Lord says, I am the elf and the omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, is what it says. He who overcomes will inherit all this. He who overcomes, it doesn't say he who overcomes will earn all this. By all your good works and good deeds and all these things you did. No, it doesn't say that. It says he who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. It has often been said that there will be three surprises when you get to heaven. The first surprise is who made it. There will undoubtedly be closet believers and deathbed conversions. And I imagine we'll see some people in in heaven and we'll go, boy, I'm surprised to see him here. Well, God knows our hearts. The second surprise will be who didn't make it. Jesus warns us in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who professes Christ as Lord actually possesses Christ as Lord. There will be tares among the wheat. And it will surprise us, but it will not surprise him. Because he knows our hearts. The third surprise when you get to heaven will be that you made it. That's the third surprise. Because you're going to be soaking in the glory and the wonder and the awe and the majesty of your eternal home and you're going to be overwhelmed by your unworthiness. Why would I be blessed to this extent? Because all of us are tainted by sin. You and I have rebellion in our hearts. You and I have been deceived by Satan time and time again, both before conversion and after conversion. The fact is that you and I, totally undeserving of heaven, in the end, heaven's a gift. We inherit it. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
We're not going to be going around in heaven and talking about all the stuff we did down here. I did more stuff than you did. None of that. The question has often been asked, how do I know that I have the gift of eternal life? And you realize that the answer is given right here in verses 6 and 7. The first way you can know if you have eternal life is that you will be thirsty. Because it says, to him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost. Are you thirsty for God? That's what I want to ask you today. Do you long for him? Do you long to know your maker better every day? Are you thirsty for him? And the second way you can know that you have eternal life, you're going to be an overcomer. Yeah, that's what verse 7 says. He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. I want to ask you today, are you an overcomer? Do you fight temptation? That is one of the marks of the true believer. It is not that we, every single time we defeat temptation. We still succumb to temptation time after time until we take our final breath. And I find myself, you know, in an average day, something will happen. I'll feel anger well up and within me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. That should not be there. Lord, banish that from me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. We occasionally will succumb to temptation every single day. But you know what the believer has? The believer has the fight in him. He will fight temptation. You're going to be an overcomer. You're going to put on the full armor of God. That's what VBS is about the whole week here. They're going to be talking about that. Get out your sword. Sword of the Spirit's the Word of God. Right? Get out your sword. You need to get out your sword. Get into the Word of God so we can defeat Satan. Do you put on the full armor of God? Do you pray with urgency. True believers are thirsty. They want more of God. And they're overcomers. They're fighters. I'm going to fight. And there may be a few times when I lose. But I'm going to get back up there again and I'm going to fight the next day. Those two groups, God grants the gift of eternal life in heaven for all eternity. Praise God. Finally, we come to glimpse number six of our forever home. It's shocked outcasts. Verse 8 says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You realize that very few people think they're going to hell? Arizona Christian University interviewed 2,000 people three years ago. This is what they found. 54% of Americans believe they're going to heaven. 54%. 15% don't know. 
13% don't believe in life after death. Folks, that didn't lower the temperature in hell one degree. <laughs> you know, it's like saying, I don't believe Buffalo is 14, years down, 14 miles down the road. <laughs> no matter whether you believe it or not, it's there. Okay? 13% don't believe in life after death. 8% believe in reincarnation. 8% believe in purgatory. And only 2% believe in hell. That is why I can confidently say to you today that those who find themselves in hell are going to be absolutely shocked. How in the world did I get here? Just like the rich man in the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16. He was so shocked. You know, he was expecting to be in heaven and he was expecting poor Lazarus to be in hell. And when they got up there, it was the other way around. He was so shocked, he said, can I go back and warn my five brothers and tell them about this awful place? And you know what Jesus said to him? It wouldn't do any good because their entire lives they have ignored the word of God. Why are they going to believe you now? Eight categories of people are going to find themselves in hell. The cowardly are those who walk away from Christ when the heat gets turned up. They walk away. Cowards. The unbelievers are those who intentionally reject Christ. The vile, the Greek word means stinky, <laughs> the vile are literally those who stink with the filth of sin. The murderers are the violent, have no regard for the sanctity of human life. The sexually immoral is anyone who engages in sex outside of man-woman marriage. Those who practice magic arts are any attempts to contact the demonic powers of darkness. The idolaters are those who worship anything other than the true God. And liars are all those who practice deceit. These will be the outcasts. And they're going to be far more than 2%. In fact, if uh, Jesus' warnings in Matthew 7 are anywhere <laughs> near accurate, there's going to be about 80-90% in hell, 10-20% in heaven, so probably somewhere in that area. Because Jesus taught, Matthew 7-14, that the outcasts will outnumber the saved significantly. I close with this. When I was a kid, one of the older saints in our church used to say, there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. Mrs. Foss, my Sunday school teacher, she loved us kids. And Mrs. Foss was right on. All you have to do is read the words that Jesus actually spoke in the four Gospels. 
Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can just read the red letters, what Jesus actually said, and as you do that, you will notice Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven, which is striking. Why did he do that? He doesn't want you to go there. He doesn't, he also doesn't want to force you into heaven. He wants heaven to be populated by a, a people who have freely chosen him. Today you have the freedom to choose. You can choose to be thirsty, and if you do, Jesus has promised, I will give you living water. You drink this, you'll never be thirsty again. You can also choose to overcome. When you fall into sin, you ask the Lord for forgiveness, you repent, you pick yourself up, and uh, what do you do when you get off the horse? Get back on the horse. You continue to fight. If you do that, Jesus has promised to give you an inheritance in the new Jerusalem. If you choose Christ, I can promise you this, you will never, never regret it. The third and final verse of when the roll is called up yonder goes like this. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. And then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there.